and welcome to the show that weeps because there are no more worlds left to conquer. On today's show, with our outstanding sense of timing, we're talking Barnet. Rossi Eames stepped down late last night and was replaced by Mark McGee. We've got someone here who's managed Barnet four times. And no, it's not Matt Stanger. We sent Matt to Bradford City, the League One club whose average attendance is more than double the average attendance of almost every other club in the division. A club positively vibrating with feel-good factor. And naturally, Matt made them lose. We'll have all of the usual stuff too. The fan league, the evocative roundup music, the tear-streaked renditions of epic Mongolian poetry. It's all here. It's all now. It's all on the Totally Football League show. Hello. And welcome. This should be a very exciting show. Matt, it's not your birthday, is it? It was your birthday yesterday. It was, Ian. I was going to sing. I was going to make a cake. I thought it was today. I decided to keep it secret from you so you wouldn't do any of those things. (laughs) Until now. What, Matt? No, we haven't done anything. Uh, Martin Allen is here as well. Martin, you were known as Mad Dog as a player. Um, was that an ironic nickname? Because you're shy and retiring type? Uh, I thought it was fairly apt. Yeah. Uh, apart from when I was taking my children to school in a nice little village called Gerard's Cross where the parents were you know, quite well-to-do. No, I suppose at times it was uh, <laughs> quite relevant. <laughs> um, there are so many things I want to ask you um, and we're going to try and fit them all in the end involving things like jumping into rivers and scaring Adrian Clark at Southend. But we haven't got time at the moment because we've got to dive straight in. We're discussing Barnet first, so we'll do the League Two roundup. Bring forth the evocative music. Notts County stay top this week, but Kevin Nolan's side needed a second-half equaliser to salvage their trip to Stevenage. Meanwhile, Newport County missed out on a chance to push back into the playoffs, frustrated by a late equaliser at home to struggling Port Vale. But no one could be more frustrated than Chesterfield boss Jack Lester. He's overseen improved performances, but he was denied a crucial win away at Swindon by a 97th-minute penalty from Luke Norris. New boss Mark McGee has a job on his hands at Barnet, who have now gone 13 games without a win in all competitions after a 1-0 defeat to Colchester on Saturday. Cambridge kept Accrington quiet with a 0-0 draw at the Abbey Stadium, while Carlisle thrashed Yeovil 4-0 with left-back Danny Granger scoring a cracker. Crew have lost again their ninth defeat in 11, and yet it all looked so different when Michael Raines gave them an early lead. But then Lincoln came back with extreme prejudice and four goals. Exeter are back on track though. After four games without a win, they beat Grimsby 2 0 and they moved back up to third. And there was a big win for Morecambe 2 1 over Wickham, and it lifts the Shrimps up to 19th. Luton were pegged back in a 90th minute to draw 2 2 at Cheltenham while Alex McDonald left it late to snatch three points from Mansfield at Coventry with a rasping effort from outside the box. And Harry Kuehl's Crawley TM has still only won once at home this season following a 1-1 draw with Forest Green. Right, Barnet history. The section that always goes on too long because I get overexcited and fall down Wikipedia holes. Barnet, then, for a club that is so new to the Football League, they certainly have a colourful history. They're an amalgam of Victorian amateur sides, including Barnet FC, New Barnet FC, Barnet Avenue FC and Barnet Alston FC, a team made up of workers from the nearby dental manufacturers who played in amber and black. It was 1919 by the time it all finally gelled into what we now know as Barnet. There isn't time here to tell you about 53 years in the amateur Athenian League. We can only briefly mention that they hosted the first ever live televised game on the BBC in 1946, a match that was broadcast right up until the moment it got too dark and they had to give up. Uh, They went professional in 1965. In 1977, they signed Jimmy Greaves. He played in midfield and he still ended up as top goalscorer. 
Barry Fry was there by this point, the first of two spells at the club, the second of which brought promotion to the Football League in 1991. At this point, it should be noted they were owned by the infamous ticket tout Stan Flashman, who ran the club in a manner that uh, would not have brought the approval of HMRC. Official attendances tended to be a bit lower than, uh, than actual attendances because turnstiles were switched off and buckets of cash were under the desk. Anyway, Flashman is believed to have sacked Barry Fry upwards of 30 times, only to be denied by Fry, who just kept turning up for work until Flashman gave up and went away. It couldn't last. Fry went away for good just before promotion to the third division was secured. Barnett came back down again straight away and in 2001 slipped back into non-league. However, one Martin Allen arrived in 2003 and laid the foundations for recovery before moving on to Brentford. Paul Fairclough took over, won the conference. Eight seasons in League Two duly followed, mostly spent battling relegation with two more spells from Martin here and then weirdly in 2012 Edgar Davids took over 2013 they were relegated Davids who was reported to have missed a game once to party at the Playboy Mansion was replaced by <laughs> Martin again who brought them back up into the league before leaving for Eastleigh he was replaced by Rossi Eames who last night stepped back to a role in player development leaving the hot seat for Mark McGee Martin you worked with Rossi um, he was your development coach, very young for a manager at 32. Um, do you think he was too young for that job? No, I just think he's been particularly unlucky uh, with so many injuries to what I would say would be first-team players. A right-back, Brindley, Tarp, his centre-forward is a good player and a goal-scorer. Elliot Johnson, Crucia, John Akinde, that we all know, the goal-scorer and game-winner. Curtis Weston, goal-scorer midfield player. And an excellent goalkeeper and Jamie Stevens have all been injured. So for any manager, especially a new young manager to come in with so many young players coming through from Ross's youth team a few years ago, it was looking like they were going to have a great season. And then with these injuries, um, that's why it's been so difficult and a, a tough uh, tough time for Ross. Yeah, they started so well. Ten points from the first six games. I saw a couple of them and they, they looked looked a really decent side. Um, Rossi Eames, interesting backstory. Uh, he's a former championship gymnast. Um, while that has been the source of amusement for some, you don't get to be a championship gymnast without serious work ethic, uh, something that he's, he's brought into his managerial career. Played a bit of non-league as well. Uh, he said of you, Martin... I made sure I was a sponge with him. He's been fantastic for my career and we're still in contact. How did you find him to work with? I thought he was outstanding. I watched his youth team um, the year we won the championship at Barnet. I regularly watched his youth team and it was quite clear the the style of football that I love. Um, his youth team played brilliant football. They won the league by six points. I think we won the league by four points. And it was clear that I would try and train him and bring him forward up to the first team and fast track him really and that's where we pushed him up to the under 21s he was coming to all the first team games more often than not he was helping me with first team training and as you say he was um, always asking questions uh, integrating very well with the senior players they loved his involvement and um, you know I'm very sad this morning that he has lost his job He'll be staying with the club, though, won't he? He'll be taking on a role as, uh, in, in development. Is, is that a good move? For That's both a great parties? move for him. It's both good for both parties. It'll be good for Ross to actually come out of the firing line, uh, out of the public eye, go back to probably what he does best. And in time, no doubt, he will step up again. He will come back into the first team frame. Um, but for now, for the club, it probably does need a fresh start with a, a new manager. And, and I'm sure all the players will be on edge with the new manager coming in. And it'll be a good break for, for Rossi now just to go back and do, as I say, what he does best. Matt, let's talk about that new manager. Uh, it's Mark McGee. 
which is a surprise for, for many. He's 60. Uh, he's not had a good run of late. He was sacked from Motherwell in February. Uh, he was assistant to Gordon Strachan before that. Didn't work out at Bristol Rovers or Aberdeen. But he did get Millwall and Brighton promoted uh, when he was there. His first spell at Motherwell was very good as well. So is it a good, good hire? It's an experienced hire. And I think after the form in recent weeks, they needed someone to come in, sort of steady the ship there. But like you say, it hasn't gone well for him really in his recent positions. Uh, he won only four of 22 games in his second season at Bristol Rovers and was dismissed in December. And he won't really have much time to turn Barnett's form around either. Martin, you watched a lot of Mark's Reading side, didn't you? Yes, I did. I was a regular at Elm Park when I wasn't playing uh, at the time for QPR. And uh, Mark put together a fantastic team uh, playing at the old Elm Park. Um, we used to stand on the South Bank watching them. We used to play beautiful football. I had a fantastic centre forward at Reading called Trevor Senior. He used to bang the goals in from all sorts of different angles of his, uh, his wonky legs. Um, fantastic times at Elm Park those were but then he left to go to Leicester but the time he was there got great respect for him yes he has had it's not always you can't you can't do well at every job you go into in management he's had two promotions got vastly experienced and I think he's a good fit and I think he'll do well at Barnet and I think they probably need a type like him at the moment who knows his stuff I mean, he, he does come into to a good squad. Uh, some of the players I, I think you brought in as well. Michael Nelson is uh, as experienced a centre-back as you're going to find. Jamal Campbell-Rice, I remember well from Southend. He's a fine player. Uh, Shaq Coolhurst wasn't that far off making it a higher level. Um, and I, I really like Mauro Vallette as well, the Portuguese midfielder. There's, there's some talent there, isn't there? There's definitely some talent, but the players have been injured. And any manager, without six or seven of your first-team players who would start you're going to struggle. And for Mark, hopefully some of those players are coming back over the next couple of weeks. And it does give him a chance to look at the squad before the January window. And they will be looking, I'm sure, in January to add a couple of players. But with six players to come back into the team, it will be a new burst of life. And uh, the supporters have really got to get behind, especially the young players, with a positive attitude. Because um, the Hive, when, uh, when we were done well with that championship... Uh, that place was buzzing and it was really alive and uh, it was a great place to play, a great place to work and more more is needed now for sure. As a manager, when you come into a club that, that's having a bit of a tough time, what do you do to, to try and get the mood back? Positive attitude, really. Um, you know, we had, uh, we, had a, we had this when we started at Brentford. You know, it's a positive mental attitude, PMA, I used to call it. Um, and then obviously that's been taken on and T-shirts were printed at Brentford when we needed, we had nine games and God knows how many points we were behind. But uh, instead of talking about negative and what if going down, it was only one focus was to get as many points as possible, win as many games as possible, giving the players a game plan, a positive game plan with no grey areas, giving them some self-belief a very positive mental attitude, demeanour, the way you talk, the way you walk, uh, what you deliver to the press. And having belief in those players, um, obviously an increase in fitness levels. Um, uh, and But basically it comes down to a positive mental attitude. Uh, and to deliver that, you've got to have some talent as a coach. Because if you don't put the sessions on, the players will see through you pretty quickly. And thankfully for the times uh, when I've been into relegate or relegation facing clubs, we've managed to scrape up on the last day of the season quite a few times. You've always wanted to coach, haven't you? I remember being told when you were at South End that you were very eager to take a few training sessions, work with players. 
Yeah, well, I was. Um, my dad was a, um, an A licensed coach, or a, what they used to call a full badge, when I was a little boy growing up, and he was working for the senior um, FA, doing courses, training coaches. So every school holidays, um, from when I was about seven or eight years old, uh, I was doing the Monday to Friday, and often more often than not weekends, with my dad training coaches how to coach. And by the time I was about eleven. I would be involved in the actual training sessions and I'd be telling the coaches who were like men um, what to what to do because, you know, I, was al- I already knew all the sessions because I've been doing them for years with my dad. So as I got older, I'd done my badges when I was 19, 20, 21. Uh, done the pro licence, I think, when I was uh, 30 or 31, one of the first people to get invited to do that. And I just always, uh, always loved it, always enjoyed it. Um, I remember watching again, going back to Elm Park, where Reading played. I saw a team, uh, Watford, play on a Saturday afternoon, and they were managed by Graham Taylor. And I was stood behind the goal watching, and he had a team of six foot three players. They beat Reading that day, I think 4-0. Um, and it, it had all come from free kicks, corners, uh, getting the ball forward quickly and you know fr- from a young age I was impressionable uh, of how teams can be successful playing different ways You had a few unorthodox flourishes though I remember once at Brentford I think a player was injured for a bit so you had an impromptu team talk everyone round in a circle gesticulating furiously and I think you might have gone on to win that game as well uh, Well maybe I, I suppose people would uh, would see sometimes you could describe it as passion or um furious face I, I certainly have got one of those but um, I suppose one of the best compliments I could have had is when I spoke to my one of my Gillingham what I call them my Gillingham champions a couple of months ago and when I rang him to see how he was he, he answered the phone he said hello uncle and I said <laughs> what did you just say he said hello uncle and he laughed and I said what are you calling me uncle for he said well when you was our manager you looked after us all so well you took care of us on and off the field and you made us all part of a big family and I think probably that was one of the nicest compliments I could have had Producer Ben here, people. And, you know, I was talking to our friend Raphael Honigstein recently and he was telling me when it comes to cars, he drives a BMW. When it comes to sausage, it's got to be Bratwurst. When it comes to pudding, it's Black Forest Gatto. And when it comes to stubble, he is all about Cornerstone. Why? It's all about the German engineering, of course. Cornerstone super sharp blades are made in the fatherland so you know you're getting the absolute best. And right now, you can pick up a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades delivered right to your door for just £4. All you have to do is head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Let's take it back to Barnet. Um, Four spells as manager there. There must be something about that club that keeps dragging you back. Well, I have a very good relationship with the uh, with the chairman, Mr. Cleanthos. Um, you know, he's had a, a tough challenge to move it. Uh, you know, from uh, move the stadium across. He's, he's put together a fantastic stadium. Uh, he's invested very heavily in the in the youth, which several of those are now playing in Barnet's first team, as we said earlier. I worked there originally for for six months without any pay. It was just an opportunity to go and do some coaching with a guy called John Steele. Mm. He's a very successful manager and I enjoyed watching and working with him and learning from him. And then um, and then that spell when Peter Shreve left Barnet, um, I think I had about nine games to try and keep the job uh, at Underhill. And it was the, my football career as a player had just finished. 
I was wondering how, as we all do when we finish playing football, how I was going to make a living or what job I could do to earn enough money for my family. And it was probably the most stressful seven or eight games I've ever had. It was an opportunity. I had a, a, like a two-month window to uh, get enough points to convince the chairman that I could do the job. And on my first or second day, I told the, the, the club's leading goal scorer, who had been picked for England C and ended up the players, uh, the club's player of the year, that he could have a free transfer and I wasn't going to play him anymore. And that was my first big decision I made. Um, God bless Junior Agogo, who's a fantastic player, but I didn't think he would fit in. So I think there was a bit of shock and surprise from all the supporters and from the players. But I knew that he wanted to leave and I didn't think that we could. And I suppose I've had to make decisions like that all the way through. And thankfully, it's been over 22 years now of um, not always success, I must say. There has been a few clubs where it hasn't worked for me. But on the whole, I think we've kind of done okay. They're an interesting club, aren't they, Barnett? They've always used to have a close relationship with Arsenal with the reserves playing there. Is is that still a thing? No, um, Arsenal don't play there anymore. Um, with the change of venue, I think uh, Arsenal have moved on to somewhere else. But we get a lot of the, we get a lot of floating supporters from Tottenham, Arsenal, and of course Watford. Um, being Premier League was only just down the road as well, so it's, it really is in a, a very difficult position to attract um, a lot of supporters. And with the move out of the town, that's also been difficult for the club. But getting the promotion from the uh, from the conference, which is no mean feat, that is a tough division to get out of with only one team going up automatically. Um, I, th- I think the signs are there for, uh, that are good for the future for Barnet, and I'm sure, um, and I really open pray that they can uh, climb the table and finish above that white line and maintain their football league status because it's a great club. There's a lot of great people behind the scenes that uh, do a great job there. Yeah, I used to be one of those floating supporters. I used to come and watch your first team match in uh, 2004. Um, sure. Because yeah, it was like nine quid and get on the terraces, meet your mates there. Didn't have to worry about booking tickets. Um, and I, I miss Underhill because I mean, even though they levelled out the pitch, there was still a noticeable slope on it. But in the old days, that that was a genuine toss the coin for uphill or downhill situation, wasn't it? Well, I think it's okay for me to say now that um, I miss Underhill. I loved it there. It was such a full of character. My office was half the size of the smallest broom cupboard. <laughs> um, you couldn't put a, de- put a desk in there. It was uh, like three chairs and the three of us would just sit in there um, and chat. It was a great place that, um, you know, it was great history. Um, and it'll always be very, very special. But I, the club had to move on. It had to move on. If it was going to be financially viable, it had to move. And you've got to give credit to the chairman. Sadly, some people don't see it that way. Um, but hopefully in time, um, you know, they will come round and respect that the move had to happen. Well, Barnet are back in action uh, away at Port Vale on Saturday. Uh, that'll be uh, Mark McGee's first game. Port Vale getting a little bit of form together after a very difficult start under new manager Neil Aspen. Matt, John Akinde's coming back from injury. That That's going to help them, isn't it? That's a big boost for Mark McGee, definitely. Uh, Akinde's been a great goal scorer for Barnet over the years. He scored 80 in 134 games for the match, and he bagged 26 last season but he's been out with injury so far in the current campaign and Saturday was his third appearance of the season so having him back is going to be a big boost Right, getting to Barnet tickets are between 19 and 25 quid depending on where you sit or a fiver for the under 17s if you're taking the car and uh, these are the words of the Barnet website. Our ample on-site parking has room for up to 500 vehicles on a first-come, first-served basis at a cost of £5 on match days 
Oh, and one pound on non-match days. Though why you'd be there on a non-match day, I don't know. On the tube, head to either Edgware on the Northern Line for a 15-minute walk, or Cannons Park Underground Station on the Jubilee Line for a five-minute stroll. Right, welcome back. It's time to play the Fan League. And as I'm sure you'll probably know by now, the Fan League is an app. You'll find it on the App Store by searching Fan League. And it's essentially like the football pools. You get 13 fixtures, about half of which are Premier League, half of which are Championship. You don't need any help with the Premier League. But maybe there's a few people who will with the Championship, in which case they should probably look elsewhere because we're rubbish. However, in the art of picking home win, away win or draw, Matt Stanger... QPR Villa, what do you reckon? This is the week we turn it around, Ian. This is when we, <laughs> we get them all correct. PMA. See? I'm going for QPR. I mean, they won their last two games at home against Sheffield United and Wolves. And when I spoke to David Wheeler yesterday, he said the squad were in confident mood. And I think they can do it again. Yeah, I disagree completely. I think Villa will win. I just don't trust QPR at all. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting anything on QPR. Even even hypothetical money on QPR, they've let me down too much. Even though they've just beaten Wolves, even though they've Sheffield just beaten United, Wolves. yeah, and then they lost last weekend. And Away, you just can't trust them. You cannot trust them. That's a QPR victory. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm outnumbered. All right. QPR, two votes to one here. Uh, Reading against Wolves. <laughs> Reading, another one um, who baffled everybody uh, in, the, in the last set of fixtures by beating Derby four two. Up against Wolves, head and shoulders, the best team in the league. Martin? For me, that'll be a Wolves victory. Yeah. I know it's my old club, my old town, but um, it's a Wolves victory. I think they're just too strong. You've seen, uh, seen them this season? I've seen a lot good, of uh, Reading. Um, I haven't seen Wolves live, but um, I've heard about the football they're playing and, of course, their player recruitment and the players Oosh. that have been bought in. Uh, some of those are like top Premier League players. So uh, I think they're to be too strong. What do you make of Reading? Almost went up last season. Um, had a horrible start. Fans getting disillusioned already. Is that fair or is that a bit harsh on Yapstam? No, it's normal. It's normal. <laughs> um, and quite often there is a shadow that's cast over a football club when you lose out in the playoffs. And then their loss for me, who was their best player, was the lad Williams who went to uh, Huddersfield. I thought he was the catalyst in the middle of the pitch that made that team happen. Great athlete, uh, good on the ball, uh, great energy and enthusiasm. And he, when, when you lose such a good player as him then uh, your team's going to struggle and not quite happen, I'm afraid. Matt, Reading Wolves? Yeah, I'm backing Wolves as well for this one. I think Reading have had a bit of a resurgence lately, but two weeks for Nuno Santo to work with his players on the training ground. I think he'll have them in shape for this one. OK, Cardiff-Brentford. Cardiff, massive, massive start. <laughs> Cardiff-Brentford. Cardiff made a fantastic start to the season. Uh, just about keeping pace with the leaders now against Brentford, who are in fantastic form. Um, Matt? Brentford unbeaten in nine. I yeah. saw their last victory against Leeds the other week. I think they'll actually sneak this one. I think they'll win at Cardiff. Martin, your old club. You That's had a, a great big time call, there. that one, Matt. That's a big <laughs> call. I'm really pleased with Dean Smith. I saw him uh, just uh, you know, six weeks into the season and they were really struggling down the bottom. But what I liked about him that day was even though his team was near the bottom of the league and not winning, he was still very positive. You didn't see anything in his face that suggested stress and worry. Um, and again, with that positive mental attitude and the way his team plays, uh, I'm delighted that they've uh, they've climbed. And as Matt said, nine unbeaten. And I think I will go for um, Cardiff a win. OK, I'll go draw. I'm just going to sit here with a fence up me bum. Not sure about that one. Definitely not sure about Fulham Derby. 
Um, Fulham, probably one of the better teams. I say this week in, week out, and they never actually return the favour by winning any games. Against Derby, who had that shock result last weekend. Uh, I'm going to say Fulham. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Fulham. There you go. I like Fulham. I don't know why. I think Derby will sneak a point here as well. <gasps> okay. They were on for eight games unbeaten if they hadn't lost to Reading last time out. So I think they'll go back to basics for this one and just play for a draw or a win on the counter-attack. Park the bus. Perhaps. I think it'll be a Fulham victory. Crane, yeah. he's come back from injury now and I think uh, he's a very good player. He has, he's been missing, hasn't he, for Fulham? Oh, Kearney, Kearney. Kearney, not Craney, sorry, Kearney. And I think he's a he's top, top player and I think Fulham will win. And Leeds against Borough, the Sunday game. Um, Leeds in free fall, really. Um, terrible, terrible form after such a good start. Borough, on the other hand, three straight wins as Gary Monk appears to be settling. Tough one. Leeds lost six of the last seven games and this could be Thomas Christensen's last chance to turn it around and against <sighs> the former manager as well. So I'm, I'm back in Borough for this one. Wow. Yeah, me, me too. Middlesbrough, Gary Monk, top, top manager. I love the way his teams play. And I think it'll be a victory for Middlesbrough. Given the Leeds fans' feelings towards Gary Monk, of course, after he left them in the summer, um, that could be a very, very difficult afternoon. But you're both going for Borough? Yes. No, I'm going to go for Leeds, just to spite you. There you go. That is the Fan League. It's available on the App Store. Search for Fan League. And if you search for me, Ian McIntosh, um, you can come and join our Totally Football League League. And we will be back after this to talk about League One. So, it's time for the League One Roundup. Hit the music. Like two drunks fighting in a pub car park, managerless Berry and managerless Gillingham knocked each other out, Sparko, in a one-all draw at the Priestfield Stadium that does neither of them any favours. Certainly did Northampton a favour, though. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's side won their third game on the bounce, beating Oxford away and lifting themselves up to 19th. There was a win too for MK Dons, courtesy of Chuck Zanike. They beat Fleetwood 1-0 on their 14th. And Neil Bishop was the last-minute hero for Scunthorpe this week, scoring a header to beat faltering Bristol Rovers 1-0. There might be light at the end of the tunnel for Blackpool off the pitch, but three straight defeats, the latest a 3-2 loss at home to Portsmouth on Saturday, has seen them slide down the table in League One. But Plymouth are now unbeaten in five, earning an impressive victory away to promotion-chasing Bradford while Kiefer Moore left it late to score his 13th goal of the season and rescue a point for Rotherham at Doncaster. OK, let's turn our attention to Bradford, where you were this weekend, Matt. Um, do you know what Bradford have got in common with Chelsea? They're the only two clubs to have ever been admitted to the Football League without actually ever having played a single game of football. It was back in 1903, Manningham Rugby Club were tits deep in the red and though they secured their short-term future with a summer archery contest, when the chance came to switch to professional football... Well, they took it. They dropped their name, but they kept their kit, the claret and amber they still wear today. They went up to the top flight in 1909, they won the FA Cup in 1911, and after a four-year hiatus for mechanised slaughter, did another three years at the top before dropping out for 77 years. Even the club's website skims over much of that period, pausing only to note the capture of the 3rd Division North title in 1929 under legendary manager Peter O'Rourke and the 3rd Division title in 1985. Tragically, on the last day of that season, a catastrophic fire in the main stand killed 56 supporters. 
1994, Geoffrey Richmond arrived. An eccentric businessman who wore his heart on his sleeve, Richmond paid off the debts, convinced the Queen to open a new stand and was known to wander around helping out where required, sometimes even on the phones and the ticket office. He also hired Paul Jewell, who took the club into the Premier League in 1999 and somehow kept them there with a last-day victory over Liverpool. But it couldn't last. Jewel walked, saying that he'd taken them as far as he could. Neither Chris Hutchings nor Jim Jeffries could repeat his miracle. Richmond spent heavily and very unwisely, and the collapse of ITV Digital helped contribute to Bradford's descent into administration and very nearly extinction. Richmond stepped down in 2002 and was declared bankrupt in 2004. And the club came into the hands of uh, supporter businessman Julian Rhodes, who was joined by supporter businessman Mark Lawn in 2007, by which point Bradford were dropping into the fourth flight, where they stayed until 2013. But that was a year in which promotion via the playoffs was matched and arguably even bettered by a run all the way to the League Cup final. A combination of success, cheap tickets and a feel-good factor that comes from knowing your club is being run by good people revitalised the place. And then in 2016, two German businessmen arrived. Matt, are they going to the mythical next level? It was initially quite a low-key takeover, but there have been some interesting soundbites in the last year or so. The aim is to get the club back into the Premier League in 10 years. And Edin Rehich, a private investor who used to work for Bosch washing machines, has said tickets in the top flight would only be a pound given the massive TV income. He said he wanted to have the best atmosphere in England, he told the Times earlier this year, and they've shown that in League One, sticking with early bird season tickets for just £149, which brought an attendance of more than 20000 on Saturday. And there's a film coming out, isn't there? There is a film coming out, and it's going to tell the story of the German owner's first year in charge of the club. Uh, I'll read you a little bit of the synopsis. They became the first German owners of a British football club when they completed their takeover. And with culture clashes, backroom divides and a pressure cooker environment of professional football, this film details the highs and lows of the Bantam's breathtaking campaign. That sounds like a good film. I would like to watch that film. What's it called? It's called Matter of Heart, and we'll have David Hartrick there who'll report back for us next week. Looking forward to that. Um, This has got to be one of the first takeovers I can recall where the fans are actually lining up to thank the outgoing owners, um, one of whom particularly heartbroken by the decision to sell. Uh, That's very rare, isn't it? It is, definitely, but I think they see... How what a good job the former owners have done and they've brought them back up through the leagues in recent seasons and had Phil Parkinson as manager who did a brilliant job at Bradford and they brought in those ticket prices as well which the new owners have decided to stick with. Um, Martin, you must have experienced a few trips to Bradford in the past. It's, um, it's a massive club at that level, isn't it? It's a great place to go and play, great place to go and work, very passionate fans and I think, as you rightly say, the previous owners deserve a lot of credit uh, for putting those season tickets at, uh, if you buy, bought them early enough. And I think they had to get 10,000, then the price would only be like £100, wasn't it, a few years ago. And the, the Bradford public have responded. And with the cup run and the cup final that they've had, with Phil Parkinson and some great players going into play at Bradford, um, I think the future is very bright for them. I'm delighted they're doing so well. Yeah, I think season tickets are now just £149, which is um, incredible value. And I've always thought if I had a football club, I'd rather have 20,000 people there paying like that price than 10,000 people playing twice the price. I don't I know just why think that more makes clubs don't do it. Yeah. Why don't more clubs do it? Yeah, it's um, I mean, it an extraordinary feel-good factor there, which I guess you would have seen while you were there, at least until full-time. Definitely. Well, we brought the curse of the Totally Football League show with us and Plymouth snatched a 1-0 victory there on Saturday. But the atmosphere was brilliant and the fans were behind the team throughout and we have to remember that they weren't beaten at home for around 18 months as well, not so long ago. 
Yeah, losing at home to Plymouth, who uh, are 23rd by virtue of that result, um, had actually been on improved form. Um, it means Bradford are just fourth now, uh, having played two more than Shelton in third. But they're, they're still very well set up for this campaign, aren't they? If, if you've never seen them, who are the players to look out for there? Charlie White's definitely the main man to look out for. He's the centre forward and he's big, he's strong. He's good at holding a ball up and bringing other players into play and he's a great finisher as well. They didn't really get the service to him on Saturday. Uh, it was actually a brilliant goal by Plymouth. Did you see it? I did not. David Fox with a wonderful defence splitting past to Lionel Ainsworth down the right wing and he crossed for Jake Jervis to slide home. And then it was about defensive resilience, really, and Bradford couldn't pick the lock, uh, won a penalty, but Norwich Loney, Remy Matthews denied Tony McMahon with a brilliant save. And uh, the manager there, Stuart McCall, um, who, and this is completely unfair, but whenever someone says Stuart McCall, I can just see that video footage of him celebrating either a promotion or staying up by getting on top of a car with a tin of lager and then falling off the car immediately after. <laughs> Always worth a look on YouTube. It never stops being funny. Um, but he's doing a good job there, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And he's, he's, he is Bradford through and through. So I think the supporters can really uh, relate to him and his passion and uh, desire. And, and I think um, I think they're only going one way. I think they will go up. And if Charlie Wyke, who was at Carlisle, uh, done a great job at Carlisle, he can pick the goals to, uh, as you say, unlock the door, then uh, I think they're going to do well. They're going to stutter at times. I think that's two home defeats now in two games, isn't it? Lost in the FA Cup. So um, I think they'll be really strong. And I'll be pleased for the whole club. It's a club with so much potential, particularly in the Bangladeshi community, Matt. Yeah, I spoke to Bangla Bantams, uh, an organisation set up to encourage local Asian fans to go to matches. And as Humayun Islam, the founder, told me, there's still a lot of fear in the Asian community following a lot of discrimination in the 1980s when local families were told to stay indoors between 1pm and 6pm on a Saturday to avoid the football crowd. But thankfully, things are changing and largely down to the great work of Bangla Bantams, Asian football fans now feel they're able to go and enjoy matches and play a part in that brilliant atmosphere at Valley Parade. You know, you've got Bradford City in the heart of the Manning area and it's surrounded predominantly by South Asian community. But when you go into the football ground, you've got 80,000 fans, probably 95% or more is predominantly white and it's not reflective of the the fans or the community around the area. And if you ask a lot of the kids or the adults, they all play football or they all watch football and they all enjoy sport. But that is still a massive issue why the local community don't go and watch Bradford City. Fantastic stuff. And if you want to play a part in that fantastic atmosphere, um, the tickets are £25 for adults, £15 for senior citizens and students, uh, £10 for under-16s and £5 for under-11s. But remember, those season ticket offers um, look like fantastic value. If you're going there, Bradford Forster Square is the nearest rail station. That's uh, about half a mile walk to the ground. Matt, what else have you been up to this week? Well, I went to QPR's training ground yesterday to have a chat with David Wheeler, who joined him from Exeter in the summer. And I wanted to speak to him because I'd heard about his interesting opinions on the game and the current political climate. He isn't what many would see as a typical footballer. He was very erudite and forthcoming with his views. And he has a different perspective to most players, having come from an amateur background and studying sports science at Brunel University. His Twitter bio actually suggests he has slightly different priorities. He lists that he's a Brunel graduate first, before mentioning that he's a footballer at QPR. And he also adds that he's an ambassador for Make Votes Matter. Having grown up in a safe seat in Sussex, proportional representation is a really important cause to him. Martin, traditionally football managers have been a little untrustworthy of uh, footballers with sort of university education. I'm thinking mainly Brian Clough and Martin O'Neill 
there was a bit of friction there. Would, would you always be all right with someone like that in the dressing room? Absolutely. He's a player, uh, Dave Wheeler, when he was at Exeter, that I'd highlighted to sign for Eastleigh because I thought he was such a good goal scorer in midfield, plays very good in the air, although he's not the tallest. And I thought it was a really good acquisition for QPR. He's very articulate, very bright, uh, very positive in his thoughts. Uh, no, I'd be more than happy to have a player like that involved. Are we seeing generally footballers becoming sort of more intelligent, or at least more intelligent footballers? I think we're seeing more managers, more coaches, um, majority of whom have had uh, now university uh, education, getting degrees in sports science, psychology, uh, analysis, um, fitness uh, conditioning. Um, and more and more managers are going down that route and the, a lot of the successful ones have never even been footballers. So um, with players as well, you know, the, the education now through the academies, uh, through nutrition, again, sports science and psychology, most players coming through now are far more educated. And we've seen the benefits of it from the under-20s and the under-17s both winning World Cups. Well, uh, let's have a little listen to David Wheeler. It was more of a culture shock, I think, going from non-league to, to league football because... Um, training every day was, was was a big thing. You have to have so much more care about everything that you do with every pass that you make and, and the decisions that you make. There's there's a lot a lot more sort of thought has to go into it. And so that was that was probably like a bigger shock. And going from playing in front of two or three hundred people to you know four or five thousand was 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 a big jump. Whereas you go from five to fifteen, and it's still like a just a mass of people sort of thing. But the big thing is that everyone's an athlete. You know, going from League Two to to Championship, like at the Championship, most players are very, very athletic, very fit, very strong. You know, which is a, a real challenge. Okay, just enough time left for any other questions. Uh, one for Martin. Famous football family you are, uh, Bradley, Clive, Paul, yourself. Is there a new generation coming through? We've got a next generation Allen family? No, there's been a, a few uh, that have been on the side of it. My son Charlie, had a, he done very well at Notts County and played 27 games in that uh, Gillingham team that won that uh, Division 2 championship. Um, Clive's son Oliver, he had a few games for, for Barnet many a year ago in Birmingham. Uh, but no, there's not. Um, I don't think now there's uh, the next generation to follow. I think uh, I think probably the football world has had enough of the Allens as it is. <laughs> um, a question from uh, me and Akintosh. Uh, describe, please, the exact circumstances that led to you jumping in the River Solent in front of your team. Yeah, well, people um, people have often questioned me and asked me about that. Um, some people smile and some people laugh and shake their head and think, ha, ha, ha. Um, but when I got to Brentford, uh, there were nine games to go. They hadn't won for, I don't know how many games, I think it was about 15. And we needed um, we needed a lot of points to stay up. And our first game, we were lucky enough to win at home against Rushton and Diamonds, 4-3 in a, in a gale force win day. And the second game was away at Hartlepool, who were third in, in, in the league. Brentford was second from bottom. And when we pulled up at Hartlepool on the Friday afternoon, um, the, player, the team hadn't won away from home all season. Um, they were all, all the players were doing a little warm up and talking about swimming across a river, and I was stood about ten yards away with my horrible face on, and um, and I after a while I sort of this is why they're doing their stretching, I sort of turned round, looked at them, walked towards them quite um, you know with that aggressive type of style, and said instead of talking about it, why don't someone get in and do it? All you lot do is just talk about it. I'll swim it. So the captain sort of looked at me and he was a tough northerner called Stuart Talbot, now a prison officer 
He said, well, go on then, five for each, five for a man. So I looked at him, I said, yeah, don't worry about that, I'll do it, straight after training. So they've all gone jogging off laughing, and then I looked in the river and thought, oh my God, what have I put myself in for? <laughs> so come to the end of the training, and they've all come back grinning like Cheshire cats. Right, Gaffer, your turn. So I, I took all my clothes off, apart from my shorts, put my trainers back on, ran round the other side of the river, crossed the bridge, over the other side, faced them. All the players are staring across the river. They're all laughing and smiling. And I was stood with my tummy in bits. <laughs> Took a couple of deep breaths and just jumped in as far as I could go. It was only about 20 yards across the river um, and swum as hard as I could. Climbed out of this muddy bank on the other side. Jumped out and sort of Rambo-like stared at all of them and said, <laughs> if you say you're going to do it then there's another word that I'm not going to put in, then you've got to do it. And I ran back to the hotel. <laughs> so in the evening at seven o'clock when it came to dinner, I went up and collected my money. Didn't need a team talk. And when we got to the ground the next day, the assistant manager, Adrian Whitbread, and the, the physio, Damien Doyle, had been to Pronterprint and printed A5 posters. If you say you're going to swim it, then swim it all around the dressing room. There's no team talk. We beat them 2-0. We celebrated in the dressing room. And that, I believe, was the start of us staying up. Nice. So was it madness or was it a good move? Mm, a bit of both, I think. Well, <laughs> producer Ben, now you know how the next director's meeting at Muddy Knees Media is going to go. Someone's got to jump in. Right, we're running out of time. There's just enough time to talk about uh, live football on TV. On Friday night, you can watch Preston against Bolton at 7.45. On Saturday evening at 5.30, you can watch Fulham against Derby. And a big one on Sunday, quarter past one, Leeds against Middlesbrough. They're all on Sky. Uh, remember that we never decide the clubs we're going to cover until you get in touch and suggest some. And you can do that by getting in touch on Twitter, at The Totally Show, Facebook, at The Totally Football Show, Instagram now, at Totally Football Show. Thank you so much for coming in, Martin. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been lovely to be here. Nice to meet all three of you. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. It's been all right. And thank you, dear listener, for listening. See you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.